My name is Matt Miller, the campus pastor of New City Church Shawnee, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give financially to New City. Your giving makes this podcast possible. Now, I hope today's message inspires you to trust in and live like Jesus. If it does, I want to encourage you to click and subscribe to our podcast, share it on social media, maybe even send it to a friend in need. Man, enjoy today's message. Now, so far in this series, Ecclesiastes builds upon itself. Like, if you just were to open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and start there, you would miss some of the punch that Solomon Solomon provides. And so I want to encourage you, right, to uh, reread, or at least go back and read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to give you a quick, quick summary, all right? Summary, you can do that. You can go back and listen to our messages if you want to, or you can do a study on your own. But here's a chapter one summary, if you were to read Ecclesiastes. People die, duh, you will too, and all your hard work is meaningless. Let's pray. All right, no, isn't it like, the, but it's kind of like a wah-wah, it's not, it's not super encouraging. A chapter two summary would be this, uh, people pursue all types of things, education, the, the partying lifestyle, career advancement, and every pleasure to distract themselves from death, right? But death isn't distracted, people die. Drum roll, please. You will, too. Still not very encouraging, I know. Last week, it got a little bit better, right? In chapter 3, God has given you all types of time. We do air quotations with me? Because it's always fun. Time. My daughter, Christy, does that when it makes no sense. She's like, I went to the mall. And I'm like, I don't, what is that? I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. I want a candy bar. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't think you understand air quotes. Um, God has given you all types of time to align your life with his kingdom. And we, last week we introduced this kind of a positive turn that God has given you all of these, a time for this and a time for that and a time for this and a time for that. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. And we don't get to assign that time. Like we talked about last, last week how this week you don't have on your calendar uh, or your watch, hey, I'm going to mourn at 2.20 today. It just kind of sometimes you just get that thrust upon you. And, and, but how do we live within the time God has given us? That's what we discussed last week out of chapter 3. In chapter 4... It starts off bleak, starts off pretty uh, wah-wah, but actually in chapter 4, Solomon gives a secret for you to have a happy life. In chapter 4, Solomon's going to make an observation about what leads to happiness, what leads to peace, and how you don't have to live like the rest of the world. And so let's jump in here into Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. This is what he says. Solomon says, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed when no, with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. Again, like I said, he starts off bleak, right? But he's making this observation. I mean, there's a lot of people being taken advantage of. And there's a lot of people who have a, have a hard lot in life, but it's because, right, they are being oppressed, right? Now, I want to give us a quick perspective on oppression, because sometimes I think our, pers- our, percept- our perspective is pretty uh, messed up. Um, I, did anybody bring your phone with you this morning? Can you just hold your phone up to me real quick? This device right here makes all of us aware of the oppression in our world. Are you with me? People were being oppressed 4,000 years ago. People were being oppressed 40 years ago at the same level they're being oppressed now. You just didn't know about it because nobody was recording it. And it didn't get as many clicks. 
And I'm not making excuses, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that it was. Like, there were a lot of evil done back before you were ever a twinkle in your mama's eye as it is today. Today, we're just more aware of it. And so, uh, here's kind of my first thought when we think about a different perspective on oppression. When it comes to oppression, we are more inclined to see it in others than we are able to see it within ourselves. Just let that sink in for a little bit. When it comes to oppression, you see it in others way, way, way more than we see it in ourselves. Have you ever stopped to consider that you could be the oppressor? Right? Have you ever stopped to think about the power that you exert over others? Now, I'm not speaking about race and politics. I'm not speaking about some philosophical argument of what could be or what ifs. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about um, how you might act if Jesus was not your leader. I'm talking about the temptations for how I would respond in my own flesh when I choose not to submit my life and my thinking and my words to Jesus. Like if you only submit as an American your ideas and your thoughts and your minds to your Bill of Rights, you, you could easily be a great American outside of the kingdom of God. We have to take all of the things that our country allows us and then press that under, hey, what does Jesus say about my rights? Because ultimately, he is my king, not the U.S. government. Ultimately, he is the king of the universe, not what I think my flesh says is the best. And that's a challenge, but that is the theme through the New Testament. My kingdom has come and your will and his will be done. And so and when we think about oppression, um, uh, sometimes we, 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 we get outside of what God says. And if not following Jesus, man, it could very well, you could do the same thing. Without Jesus' leadership over your life, let me read this to you, you could easily become the oppressor within your workplace, your home, and maybe even within a ministry. Now, there's probably not going to be any body cam footage of it. There's probably going to be nobody taking a video of you being an oppressor, but it can be and will be felt by the people that you exert your power over. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 was not written for just them. It was written for you and it was written for me. And so when we read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I don't want you to be thinking about the last video that you watched that got you all riled up. I don't want you to be thinking about the last video or the story that you read that made you all passionate. No, it was written for you. It was written for me in the, the role that we play in this thing that we call life. This was a thought that I had for my own life. Matt, and this is, I'm going to make it personal, and you can make it personal for you. Therefore, Matt, I must discipline myself to not become so self-righteous that I look past my own sins, I shake my fist at another's. Man, I can do this so easy. I can begin to think about all the things that I do well in air quotes, self-righteous, and that I, I neglect how I use my power, my influence, my money to get what I want. And it's so easy for all of us to do that. We exert whatever power we have to get ahead. So let's now, the remainder of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is Solomon giving a solution to that observation, all right? So he sees this oppression that's taking place. He sees the people that are lording over, and there's tears, and there's no one to comfort them, and it seems like the oppressors have all the power. And now Solomon is going to give a, a to the observation, he's going to give a solution. So let's jump in verse 4 now. And he says this, he says, And I saw that all the toil and all achievement spring from one person's what? Envy of another. Think about that. Let me read that again. And I saw, Solomon says, and I saw that all the toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and run themselves. Some of your translations might say fools fold their hands and eat their own flesh. Better one handful with tranquility. Some of your translations would say peace or would say happiness. 
So better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In that passage, verses 4 through 6, Solomon gives three approaches to life. Two negatives and one positive. The three approaches are this. The one in a hurry for more, the one who is lazy, and the one who has peace. And this morning, those three approaches are very much alive and well in our world and within these pews. Right? We're in a hurry to get more. We can be lazy or we can have peace. Let's discover how Solomon points us to the peaceful lifestyle. But let's first just acknowledge the two that are negative. The first approach is the one in a hurry for more. Now, in this passage in verses 4 and 6, he talks about two things. He talks about being in a hurry, and he talks, I mean, I'm sorry, he talks about envy, and he talks about being in a hurry, right? So I saw that all the toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. And then he says, better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So it's this idea of envy, and it's this idea of being in a hurry. So let's talk about both of these two things. Now, there was a, a quote um, uh, from the book that I thought was very, very good, uh, speaking specifically to this ideal of envy and how we play this out in our everyday life, like how you play it out in the workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhood. This is what David Gibson wrote. He says, when we look at the broken, fallen world through a biblical lens, what we see is that the world is a place where our neighbor can be damned so long as we can be king. It's a place where we often relentlessly pursue the neighbor above us by willingly step on the head of the neighbor beneath us. Right? It's keeping up with the Johnsons, right? It's like we live in this county and we're just consistently seeing what's around us and we want what our neighbor has. Uh, we desire what our neighbor has, whether it be a promotion, their kid's talent, the house they have. Maybe your neighbor gets their house painted and now you have this envious uh, thing in you that you want your house painted too or it's a new vehicle or you see uh, the, the, the construction truck back up to their garage and you know they're having work done inside and you walk over because you want to know what they're doing. It's just this back and forth of keeping up with our neighbors out of this envious thing that's within us because we want it we want it too we chase better we chase nicer we chase newer and here's a little thought for you we can't enjoy what we have because we're working so hard for something better like you can't enjoy your own kitchen cabinets because you saw what somebody posted on facebook and yours don't look that pretty right or you can't enjoy your kids playing soccer because of the other kid on the team who scores all the time and you want your kid to be as good as that kid. We can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy your rocking chair that you sit in at the soccer game. You got that cheap $20 one. And look at Matt and Jen Millen over there rocking in their lawn chair. They went to Academy Sports and bought that $60 chair. Can you mind? I got to have that. And so we, it's, it's the, from little things to these big, big things, right? Now, you, we may think, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with me wanting my grass to be as green as my neighbor's? Or what's the big deal of me wanting the same promotion that my guy, like my butt at work got, or the coworker got? What's the big deal that I want my daughter to be a missionary too? Like, what's the big deal? Like, shouldn't I want, isn't it okay for me to want that other salary? And um, it can be a very big deal. Envy is a big deal in the kingdom of God. I want to give you two reasons. There's lots of reasons. I'm just going to give you just two this morning why you should protect your heart and protect your mind and protect your life from this envious attitude. First of all, really, really simple. Envy always wants different. No matter what you have, envy always wants something different, right? You can't enjoy this because you want that. Envy is never satisfied. It's never content. Envy is always, always, always impressed by someone else's stuff. 
of someone else's possessions. Envy is the enemy of contentment. Enemy is the uh, enemy of contentment. There's again a quote, so many good little quotes and, and statements uh, in this week's book. If you're, if you're new to New City, our commentary to the study of Ecclesiastes is a book called Living Life Backward by David Gibson. We're in chapter 4, so we're not so far ahead that you can't catch up. But in the book, talking about this idea of envy, he quotes uh, G.K. Uh, Chesterton who says, There are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Right? And so just, hey, you know what? I'm fine with what I have. Guess what? You'll be content. Or you can continue to accumulate and accumulate, and maybe one day, maybe you'll be on hoarders. And we can all go look at you and go, what are you doing with all that stuff? Anyway, okay. Um, a second reason that you need to guard your heart towards envy is simply this. How can you truly love your neighbor if you are motivated by competition with them? But Jesus says, right, in uh, Mark 12, I'm going to skip ahead real quick. I'm gonna, in Mark 12, Jesus says, the most important commandment is this, and he gives two that are equal. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. First important, the most important thing Jesus said is for you and I to love God more than you love anything else. Yes, more than your wife. Yes, more than your husband. Yes, more than your girlfriend. Yes, more than your boyfriend. Yes, more than your best friend. Yes, more than your children. Like God desires, uh, I mean, I know, like, well, no, I'm serious. He says, I want to be first place. He has zero desire to be your co-pilot. He has zero desire to be your second fiddle. God wants best. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Everything else falls somewhere behind him. And equal, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as who? Yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So when, how, how do we compete with our neighbor or be envious of our neighbor and at the same time love them as you love themselves? I want to give you a little self-assessment. Uh, simple question. You can fill in the blank here. Are you happy for your neighbor's blank, whatever it could be, their new job, the promotion, their baby, uh, their, 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 uh, uh, their boyfriend, their girlfriend? Are you, are you happy for those things? Or does your neighbor's blank make you feel less than? And that's just something that you feel inside. And if you see something that your neighbor, when I say neighbor, I'm not talking about your next door neighbor only. I'm talking about people that you do life with. When they get something, achieve something, receive something, are you happy for them? Or does it make you feel less than on the inside because you don't have that or you want it to? And that, that is a great litmus test just for your own personal self to know, wow, I'm being envious right now. I'm not truly happy for them. I want what they have. I want that too. And when that comes up, man, listen, man, you're not loving them as you love yourself. What does that mean? What does it look like? What does it think, uh, uh, play out to look like for you to love your neighbor as you love yourself, as Jesus said? Well, it's really not complicated. Do you want for them what you want for yourself? Like, do you want your coworker to get that promotion that you're also in line for? Do you want your neighbor's lawn to be greener than yours? Oh, you're taking it a little too far now, Matt. Right? Uh, or do you, uh, do you hope that he asks her out instead of you out? I mean, do you hope that they get the baby, although you're trying so hard? Like, it's this, it's this weird thing, but I'm going to love you as much as I love myself. And it's a, why does Jesus ask us to do those two things first and foremost? It's because it's challenging. Because you know what? We, it's, 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 it's a challenge sometimes to love God most, and it's a challenge to love our neighbor as ourselves. because I want to love me the most. Period. I want to be the boss of my life, not God. And I want to love me the most, not you. Anyone else in here like me? 
And God says, no, no, listen. Hey, I, I want to redirect how you think, how you live. Put me first and put them very, very one being. Now, let's continue. That's envy. He also talks about being in a hurry. Now, you may be like, ah, envy, I don't tell whatever. I can get you on a hurry, all right? <laughs> who, who's in here is typically in a hurry? Anybody in a hurry? So I learned something three years ago that really helped me in this idea of being in a hurry. A guy named George Bajackley, he's about this tall, and he's like if you, Christian Yoda. Like when George would come and sit by me, I was like, okay, I'm about to learn something. God's about to whisper something into my life. I need to be paying attention. And this was true on this particular day. Uh, George told me that it is not bad to be busy. George told me that it's not bad to have a full calendar. George told me that it's not a sin or evil or wrong to, to go to bed tired at night. Busy is okay, right? Busy is good. George said, where busy goes bad is when busy becomes, you're in a hurry. Here's how the difference, here's how you can tell. If you can't be present in one thing because you're thinking about the next thing, you're in a hurry. If you can't enjoy this service right now and what God is trying to say to you, even through my poor examples, if you're already thinking about all the stuff that you have to get done next, you have a hurried life. If you can't enjoy lunch today because you got to get home to get something done, if you can't enjoy this activity because you're thinking about the next one, you are in a hurry and you're missing out on what God has given you. You're missing out on the times of your life. And so it's okay to be busy, but here's the key word, be present. Like when you sit down at the table tonight, and you're, whether it's just you and a friend or you have your whole family there, be present. Be all in. Be all engaged. Put this stupid thing down. Like this thing's not allowed at our dinner table. It does, my, my, mine too. It stays on the, on the countertop, off, right? Because I'm going to be present. You know who else is not allowed at the dinner table? You, unless you're sitting there with me. Like when I sit down with my wife and kids at the table, I am engaged as their father, as their husband, not as their pastor. Are you with me? I'm being present with my family. When I go to a soccer game, I'm watching my daughter. Well, I might be playing my Harry Potter game too, but I'm pretty much watching my daughter, all right? But we get in this idea where we miss up being busy when all of a sudden we get in a hurry because we're thinking about the next things we have to get done and we can't be present for what we're currently doing. Now, whenever I sense that happening in my life, I know I got too much going on. Whenever I find myself in a meeting, find myself in a conversation, and I'm looking at my watch because I know i got to get to somewhere else, I know it's my own awareness now, dude, you're in a hurry, and you're not being present. And honestly, when I get like that, I'm not loving the other person well. How do I love my neighbor when I'm ready to get done with you so I can get to the next thing, Jennifer? How do I love my wife as I love myself if I can't, well, I wish you'd heard about this story yet because i got to go over here and do this. Are you with me? So whenever you sense that in your life, this, come on, come on, come on, slow down. It's okay to be busy. It's not okay to be in a hurry. My encouragement to you from this is stop chasing the wind. Stop thinking the future will be better and easier. Stop thinking that if only things were different, you would be a better person and that one day you will be a better father. You do not know the future or what lies around the corner, whether good or bad. Perhaps these are the, indeed the best days of your life, or maybe you'll be dead tomorrow. Enjoy. Be present. Engage. The second way to approach life. 
You can be envious and you can be in a hurry in this competition at mindset, or you can go the exact other way and you can be a lazy person. Notice what he says here. Uh, he says, fools fold their hands and run themselves, right? It's impossible to love your neighbor if you're lazy because you have nothing to give. Now, don't be fooled. Don't be misled. Lazy people get out of bed. Lazy people uh, go to work. Lazy people even go to church on Sunday mornings, right? Like, so I'm, I'm saying that you could be lazy and be in this room. I'm not calling you lazy. Don't get mad at me, right? Although you probably wouldn't do anything about it. Um, get it? It's a joke. Um, but, but you could be lazy, right? And, and still be active. Um, here, here's what I've noticed about lazy people. Lazy people are takers. Lazy people are takers. Here's what I mean. A lazy person is typically surrounded by at least one person that really loves them that gets taken advantage of by the lazy person because they don't want to see them suffer. And so this person who loves God or loves this lazy person does all of this stuff for them so that they don't suffer harm or they don't miss their appointment or they don't get fired or they don't get whatever or they don't do this or they don't do that. And so they take their money, they take their time, they take their energy, and they give it towards this lazy person. When in the hard part is, is that person who's being such a servant is also been given an allotted amount of time from God the Father to invest their money and their time and their energy into his kingdom. And they're not invested in his kingdom because they're invested in somebody that's just like a, just taking everything from them that they could be doing for themselves. Lazy people are takers. They fold their arms and they eat their own flesh. Now, here is a self-assessment for laziness. Who are you depending on to do the work that you don't have to do? Like, who, who are you like, well, I'm not going to do it, they'll do it. And, and you're, just, you're just taking advantage of them. Like, I mean, you're just taking advantage of it because you don't want to do it. And so you just sit back, you're like, you know what? Grandma will pay my bills. That'll give me money for my gas in my truck. Uh, somebody will wake me up to go, to, right? And we just get in this, this lazy deal that we depend on our well-being on somebody else. Here is the solution to this. There's several. Here's a simple one. If you find yourself being lazy, and by the way, that's a hard realization because nobody likes to go, hey, you know what, man, I'm lazy. Right? But if you are, or, um, yeah, if you are, I was going to say if you know somebody who is, but I don't think that'd be the best thing to do. I don't know. You can work that out. But here's the solution. Start serving and stop being served. You want to fight laziness across the board? Grab a guest card off the back wall and get plugged into ministry. The next time you're at a family dinner, wash the dishes when the food's done. Start serving and stop being served. Give your time if you, if you want to fight laziness. Give your time away. Give your resources away. Like, like, don't say, hey, I need your time, and hey, I need your money. No, I'm going to begin to invest my time. I'm going to begin to give my money. I'm going to get involved. You can be envious and be in a hurry, or you can be envious and be a taker and not do anything with yourself, right? And those two things, by the way, are also how you can oppress people. Now we get to the third one, and it's a good one, all right? How do we have peace? Let's end with the best stuff. Notice what Solomon says. Better one handful, handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful with peace. Can you hold out one hand? Better one handful and have peace. But what do we typically want? Come on, play along with me. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really going to bless your life. I'm serious. I think God wants to bless you in this. Hold out one hand. Better one handful, handful, and have peace in your life, joy, time to enjoy your family, your friends, your hobbies, time to watch your kids grow up, enough money to live on, 
better that and have peace than two handfuls, go ahead and give me two now, with that promotion that you think you're up for or you think you want because it comes with a big raise, but now you can't be home as often and you can't make your kids games or uh, the newer truck or the newer home or the bigger apartment or the, and, and, and you can, but all of a sudden you've got these two things now, but now you're weighed down. And it, I'm telling you, it, it is a struggle for us in America because we're taught to, to want more, to, to, to chase after, to pursue happiness. And, and Solomon says, listen, better one handful, meaning you don't have as much as other people, and you're not the top dog, and you're not the big wig, and you don't make the most, but you know what? You're good. But you're good, and you have peace, and you let your head on your pillow at night, and you're not worried about the debt that you carry and you're not trying to figure out how you're going to get all of this stuff done by the weekend, and, but you know what, I, I'm good because I have peace, I have happiness. Then two handfuls where you got everything you ever wanted, but you're way down with life. You know what happens to both? The guy who has one handful and the guy who has two handfuls, they both die. You, they, you, they, they both croak over. They both kick the bucket, push up daisies, whatever the statement is, right? And so what if you could go to your grave right? The, the title of the series is Living Life Backwards. How could you go say, I'm going to die a great death based on how I live today, and I'm going to be content and happy and joyful with this one handful instead of saying, no, it's more, it's more, it's more, and I got to get all this stuff, and you die, and you leave all that stuff to somebody who's going to blow it, who's going to spend it, on stuff that's going to weigh them down, and we just continue, and we just continue, and we just continue. Here's a solution. Here's a simple thing that you can begin to do for you to have peace. And it's